0: If you've got your Bibles, invite you to go to John chapter 16 with me this morning. John chapter 16. While we do that, I don't know if you noticed how much more mature Paul's prayer was. That's what happens when you turn 50. So happy birthday, Paul, and you sounded much more like a sage now that you've hit the 5-0. As well, I see Darren and Deanna off to my left, and they are joining with Micah and Martin as well, as they are announcing to us that they are expecting their first child. So congratulations, Darren and Deanna. Something must have happened since Friday. I wasn't expecting to see you today, but there you are, and I couldn't not celebrate with you. It is good to be able to do this, to celebrate pregnancies and births and re being reunited as we also weep with those who weep and we struggle with those who struggle. And that is all captured in John chapter 16, verse 25 to the end of the chapter this morning. This is the word of God. Jesus looks at the 11 disciples and he says to them, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly, about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. If you write in your Bibles, underline that and personalize it before we go any further. Notice what Jesus says, the Father himself loves you. Here's why. Because you have Loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, watch the movement here in verse 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father and then have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. And this is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come that you, you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Now watch this. Yet I am not alone, Jesus says, for the Father is with me. And this is how he sums up the discussion. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Here's a reality check. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33 is the eighth, believe it or not, eighth and final section of this broad discussion that the Apostle John records to us that starts all the way back in John chapter 13. If you've ever wondered how we came up with the Lord's table or communion or the Eucharist or whatever uh, word you are familiar with, which by the way we have not forgotten, we will celebrate on Good Friday when we can do so fully together and I'm excited to do that. But chapter 13 is actually all about action. In chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They celebrate that final Passover meal together. Judas, of course, leaves to go and betray Jesus. And then as you come to the end of chapter 13, Jesus puts out those infamous three declarations. Hey, guys, I'm leaving. I will be betrayed And all of you are weak and you will fail. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, he follows that up with, let not your hearts be troubled. I smile every time I read it. He tells them, I'm leaving. I'm going to face betrayal. You're weak. Now, chill out. Of course, that all follows what John has recorded for us over the last 13 to 18 months of Jesus' ministry, right? Those seven amazing signs, those seven wonderful I am statements. And after our passage, in here at the end of John 16 and John 17, Jesus Christ himself will pray the most amazing and powerful prayer. And I believe, if you'll indulge me, I believe it's the most amazing and powerful prayer ever uttered on planet earth, John chapter 17. And then, 12 to 18 hours from now, Jesus will physically live out the promises of this very passage that I have read for your ears. And then, comes Easter Sunday. Friday's coming, it's just around the corner, it's the very next day, but Sunday is coming. When Jesus will rise from the dead and the disciples will be collected back from their abandonment and Jesus will love them and show them and send them and the church age is on the precipice of about to start and the gospel's power and the gospel's message will be given to these 11 and a growing group of men and women and it will spread like wildfire all around the world, the effects to which are manifested in this room. And hence why John ends with what he does in John chapter 20. This is why he writes all of this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. And I didn't write them in this book. I didn't put them down. But these signs are written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and here's the result, and that by believing, you and I, we, us, may have life in his name. But of interest to me is what John writes, these are the words he writes immediately after the second gathering of the disciples. If you look back and cast your eyes back in John chapter 20, a little bit earlier to that time when Thomas, remember him, who said, unless I see Jesus, I won't believe. Back just a few verses before John 20, 30, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Now notice this, and said to them, peace be with you. Now I want you to connect the dots the end of John 16, he says, I, that you may have peace. Now, a few days later, a few weeks later, he says to them, peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas, whom we have fondly called Doubting Thomas, and he says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Which, by the way, if you're here this morning and you believe, this is you. This is the Bible talking about you in 2022 at the beginning of April. And did you, again, notice that phrase, peace be with you. The theme of John's gospel can be captured in, I think, three words, life, believing, peace. Or you could say, believing gives life and brings peace. But in order for you to have this peace in life, you must believe, So how? How do you and I believe and have life, and not only have life, but abundant life, and have a life that leads to a peaceful life? How do we take these words in John 16 and make them have an impact in our lives in the right here and the right now? I mean, take a few moments to reflect. Even as I began the service, let me ask you all right now, whether you're here or at home and online, wherever you may find yourself, what's life like for you right now? And be honest. If you were to write down right now, what's my life like? How would you define it? How would you explain it? How would you express it? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you struggling? Are you happy? Be honest. What are you living for? Or what are you looking for? As many of us, I think one of the great challenges of our lives, both here at Calvary and Mile One Mission, but I think it's true of St. John's and Newfoundland and Labrador and Canada, many of us, on the first Sunday of April of 2022, are still stuck with the U2 song, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So, what if? What if John chapter 16, 25 to 33, as as we head towards Easter of 2022, and think about that, what and why will we celebrate at Easter? But what if, What if we really got and applied this passage of John, these words spoken by Jesus? What if we honestly put ourselves there, either in that upper room or walking with Jesus as he makes his way towards the Garden of Gethsemane? What if you and I joined with these 11 and truly owned our questions? If we truly brought our doubts and our sin... To John chapter 16. What if we are very much like these 11 men? We want to believe. We want to do what's right. We long for forgiveness and we want for power and purpose and belonging. We long to rest and have hope and and, and peace and we're looking for joy and we're seeking for something more out of this world than 70 or 80 years of self-interest, a few laughs and hoping we leave some small legacy. Well, if that's truly as simple as understanding and trusting, believing, in having an honest and real relationship with Jesus, then what if, for every man and woman here, from the youngest of you to the oldest, what if if it boils down to, are you ready for this? Your prayer life. Your willingness to be honest about your weaknesses. And that that is what will lead you to finding peace and power in Jesus Christ. What if it's that simple? Because that's exactly what I just read to you in John chapter 16. You read about prayer, weakness, weakness. And an incredible promise. To summarize, Edward Cline captures it well. He says, Jesus speaks plainly about his return to the Father and encourages disciples to stay the course in light of his accomplished work. The disciples and the readers, you and I, were exhorted to believe in Christ and His work, not believe in our good works, not believe in our denominational title, not believe in anything or anything but Him and His work, and to follow Him, finding peace in His victory over the world. That's what it is. So I want us to break it down. Are you ready? Number one, if you're following along and you want to do this with me, as we get a fresh perspective on Easter for 2022, here's my first point. Notice in verses 25, 26, and 27, our promised relationship of prayer. There's a promised relationship of prayer. In verses 25 to 28, Jesus is teaching them about the power of prayer based on the power of his obedience. This is the whole section. What he is doing, what he will do. The entire thing from John chapter 13 to John chapter 16, it's all about Jesus living, Jesus dying, so that his people, you and I, can be forgiven. But not only forgiven, justified now remember what justification is justification is outside in not inside out justification is God declares you and I justified and if you're going to be honest as people we don't like that we all need it and we all want it but we don't like it because we live in a world where you need to justify yourself we long for a world of justice But can you imagine when someone else says, no, I declare you right. And this is why Jesus sees the fulfillment of his ministry. He says, I'm going to tell you plainly. Notice in verse 25. He says, I'm going to tell you plainly about what? About the Father. Jesus brings us into a relationship with himself so that you and I can know and love the Father. But most importantly, so you and I can know the love of the Father. That's what he said. That's when I stopped when I was reading it. Jesus brings us into a relationship. Now, Jesus is the mediator with the Father. We find that out in Timothy. He's the go-between who resolves all conflict. And Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, provide an open way for our restoration to God. That's true. Our relationship with God the Father was severed by sin, ours. And listen, we were born sinners You you didn't become a sinner like you you weren't a good person who did some bad things and became a sinner. You're a sinner, and therefore, because you're a sinner, you do bad things. That's me, too. I didn't become a sinner. I was born one. This is what our sin did. So God sent Jesus, his son, just like Matthew tells us in Matthew 121, to save his people from their sins. So is it any wonder... Is it any shock and surprise to us that Jesus' final words to his disciples, and in some respects, his final words to you and I, is how? How we can have a calm, joy-filled, peaceful heart. Even if it means Jesus is going away. Even if it means We, or as He, will face betrayal. Even as it means, we have to come to grips with our weaknesses, our limitations, our struggles. And the answer to all of that is found in our passage it's relational prayer. By the way, if we wonder what it means to pray to to the Father, Jesus answers by means of a single word. Did you notice? He says it five times in these verses. Prayer is asking, asking of God. In that day, notice in verse 25 and 26, in that day, you will ask in my name. You will ask in my name. He emphasizes, Jesus does the direct access to the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name in verse 26. And I do not say that you will ask the Father that I will ask the Father on your behalf. He's making them understand, I'm not saying you're going to come to me and go, Jesus, would you go ask the Father? No, he says, you will now come to the Father himself in Jesus' name. This is the kind of power. He's not denying, by the way, his priestly ministry of intercession in Romans 8. He's simply saying that after his death and resurrection, in that day, you and I will have direct access to the Father. Now, think about that. That means that you and I, every man and woman here who says, I believe in Jesus, we have the ability, young people, you have the ability, older person who has prayed for the same thing for years or decades, we have the ability to go through Christ and bring to God as Abba Father, our adoration and our confession and our thanksgiving and our supplication. In essence, Jesus is saying in verses 25 and 26, Looked. You guys have talked to me, you've asked me your questions, you've brought to me your requests, but now in a few hours when I go and do for you what I'm going to do, you will go directly to God the Father. I think this gave new meaning to the model prayer. Do you remember all the way back in Matthew chapter 6 in what we call the Sermon on the Mount that we often call the Lord's Prayer, which by the way is one of my pet peeves, it's not the Lord's Prayer, it's a model of prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. John chapter 6 verses 6 to 9 is a blueprint, it's a model for prayer. Let me walk you through it. And based on what Jesus says here, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for I do not say this. No, you go because the Father himself loves you. So now you can go directly to God. And so now, what if you take the model prayer in John 6 and break it into John chapter 16? Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you see what he's saying? Now you can take the model prayer and see it for the relationship that it's meant to be. Now you and I can pray and we have a relationship to God's position. We can now say, our Father. And hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And then we can take it even further. And we can pray and the relationship to God's power and his sovereignty. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now you have a relationship where you can actually say and long for and call out for the power and sovereignty of God. Then we have a relationship to God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. You're not trying to convince him to do it. You're not trying to earn it. You don't even have to worry about saying, I want to ask for a little bit more than I need just in case you're not available tomorrow. No, you and I have access to God of the universe as the one who provides for us. And what's even greater is we have a relationship to God's redemption. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have access to God the Father as our Redeemer. And then we have access in a relationship to God the Father for protection. Lead us not into temptation. This is the relationship of prayer. Don't just rush through this. Don't just assume you know what this is all about. See the ramifications. And by the way, do you want me to show you this practically for every one of you here that says you're a Christian? There is a special privilege about being a Christian and prayer. Have you ever noticed how many times people who are religious or even someone who doesn't believe at all will ask you as a Christian, "Uh, will you say a prayer for me? Hey, can I ask you to say a quick prayer for my mom? Would you say a quick prayer for me that I get that job? I get asked that over and over again. A few years ago, I was invited to pray for the Workman's Compensation Memorial at the Confederation Building. Annually, our government gathers people that have families and loved ones that have been injured or lost their lives on the job, on some sort of a work site, and they gather together and they remember, and there's government officials there, and actually to be honest, I don't even to this day know how I got invited, but I was asked if I would go and say a prayer of blessing over the people. So I was there in the foyer of the Confederation building, and there was government leaders, and everyone was there, and all of these things were happening. And then I prayed my prayer. And afterward, there was a reception, and I was shocked at how many folks came up to me and said, thank you. But what of interest to me was one sitting government minister walked up to me and shook my hand and said, you know, Reverend, what was fascinating to me about you today, you actually sounded like you believe you were talking to God. He was shocked that someone honestly sounded like they believed God would stop and listen to me. Now hear me now. John chapter 16 is Jesus telling his disciples when he goes and suffers and dies, when he rises from the dead and you and I believe in him and we have this life and this peace that every moment of every day of your life and mine, wherever you are on planet earth, when we cry out, our Father, we have the attention of God Almighty. That's just true. But let me ask you, do you believe that? Amen. I got a witness. See, William Wilberforce once put it like this One thing I often accuse myself of is not seeking more diligently occasions of attempting to promote the spiritual improvement of others. It is a difficult point but we should make it the subject of prayer. This month, the month of April here at Calvary Baptist and My One Mission, we have decided as our book of focus is going to be the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to read a chapter of Luke for 24 days and then go back and read the first six chapters again to bring us through to the end of the month. But we've also said that the theme of the month of April should be to be an encouragement to each other to offer words of affirmation. Now, by the way, I don't mean flattery, and I don't mean self-esteem, but rather that we would spend this month pointing out the grace of God in each other's lives. And by the way, you and I won't do this without prayer, because relational relationship with God is what shapes and fuels your relationship with each other. And the problem we have today is so many of us see prayer is that we're very much like the disciples. We see Jesus and we love Jesus and we relate to him and we see him as our go-between. And as I said, he is the mediator and the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf as Romans 8 and 10 expresses. But here Jesus is teaching of something deeper and more profound, it's relationship prayer. And while the Lord's prayer is very helpful to us, Jesus wants us to know that through his atoning death, you and I have direct access to God the Father for all of the matters of our needs. Let me illustrate it. I read this. Richard Phillips put it down. He wrote the story of a young Union soldier during the Civil War in America. He had great personal needs with his family, yet he had been conscripted into war. He didn't know what to do, so he went actually to the White House himself to see if he could actually see the president during that time. Of course, as he walked through the hall, secretaries refused to interrupt the nation's chief executive so that he would deal with the personal matters of simply a lowly private soldier. And so the soldier, in desperation, sat in the hallway of the White House and simply held his head... began to weep. Soon a little boy came down the hall and saw the soldier and he went up to him as little children are wont to do and he said, what's wrong? The soldier said, I need to see the president of the United States but no one will let me see him. I can't get to him. The little boy After hearing this soldier's explanation and seeing the tears in his eyes, took the soldier by the hand and walked him down the hall. They went by the armed guard. They went by the secretary's desk. They went down another hall. And then he opened the door into what was the Oval Office where Abraham Lincoln himself was sitting at his desk working and lifting up his head. The president looked and saw this little boy and this soldier. And to the shock of the soldier, President Lincoln said, Son, what can I do for you? It was his boy. His son said, Daddy, this soldier needs to speak with you. And the story is told that the man had a 30-minute audience with President Lincoln, of which they prayed together, and Lincoln wrote executive orders to help this man help his family. Now, let me make this make sense for us. You see, on April of 2022... You and I often see ourselves like the soldier. We think we're Christians now. In fact, let me go even further for our children's ministry leaders. Maybe we've been wrong all these years to get our our children, I'm in the Lord's army. Maybe we should change the lyrics to, I'm in the Lord's family. Because the soldier felt he had to go through a chain of command, but a son has access to dead. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're not soldiers. What I'm going to go do for you and I will pay for your sin and I will die for you and I will rise victorious, I will then make it possible for all of you to be sons and daughters. And you don't have to go to God as a soldier. You now go to him as a child. Abba, Father, our Father, Who art in heaven. And so we can go to him, and he says, Jesus is basically saying, This is what I came to do. So go to Jesus, tell him our needs, and more than that, go to God and say, I need to pray for my marriage. Or I need to cry out to you for my kids. Or I need help to overcome the horrors of my life. And you don't go to God as a soldier. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to wait for an audience. Jesus says, I'm not going to go and say, God, I'm here on behalf of. I'm telling you, you're going to go to God yourself and say, I'm here because of, and now you're my dad. Now, let me ask you, be honest. Would that not change our attitudes about prayer? And then, for just a minute, look at verse 28. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and go to the Father. And his disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly, and now we know what's going on, and we believe in you. And so secondly, I want you to realize, not only do we have relational prayer, but secondly, you've got to see the foretold reality of our weakness. This is a problem in our world today. We don't want to admit we're weak. We will talk about some of the weaknesses we face, but very few people will say, I can't. I'm too weak. I don't have the power. We will often say, I am facing things that are too hard. I'm dealing with stuff that you don't understand. If I didn't have this in my life, then i I would be better. And we we project our weakness to blame it on others or blame it on circumstances, but we don't truly own our weaknesses. And in Jesus, in verse 28, in this four-movement symphony of sovereignty, he says, look, I came from the Father. This is my deity. I am God. I came from God, and I came into the world. That's the incarnation. Notice... I come from the Father, I came from the Father, is past tense, but I come into the world is past and present. The effects are still being felt. I have come to fulfill the plan, to show God, to glorify God, to display love, to defeat sin, Satan, and death, to open the door to God. But now, and this is done in a few hours, I will leave the world. How? By way of the cross. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I lay down my life. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. According to the New Testament, Jesus left the world via the cross in order to remove completely the guilt of all our sin. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 103 as far as the east is from the west, so far does he, God, remove our transgressions from us. And then he says, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to rise. Friday's coming. But Sunday's even better. I'm going to rise. I'll be accepted. It is finished. It is sufficient. But more than that, Jesus says, I'm going to assume my place. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of the Father because the work is done, and I will oversee it finally and see it to its finale. And on appearing this, these guys go, yeah, we get it. We're good now. We get it. As one man says, they displayed the ignorance of their belief In their brief thinking of, we get it now, we believe. I love this. One commentator says, they thought that Christ was simply the one who would teach them. They couldn't possibly comprehend he was also the one who would transform them. Don't cheapen Jesus as someone who simply teaches you. He is the savior of the world who's come to transform you. And this reminds us that we shouldn't take lightly the challenge of believing in Jesus. 20 Schemes has written a discipleship set of books, and one of the first books that they give to young men and women in the schemes of Scotland that come to Jesus is a book titled War, W-A-R, War, and here's the subtitle, Why Did Life Just Get So Hard? Because The world and and cheap Christianity, prosperity gospel Christianity, tries to sell what I call country music Jesus, right? You come to Jesus and you get your dog back and your truck back and your wife back and your house back and all these types of things. But the reality is any of you out there that have come to Jesus know that life did not get real simple after you came to Jesus. Jesus saved my soul when I was 21. And it was an absolutely life-changing event for me. But I am now 50, and the last 29 years of my life have been some of the most horrible, horrific ups and downs of my human existence. But here's the difference between the last 29 years and the first 21. Jesus When I was 14 years old and I was confused and scared and angry. Having suffered physical and sexual pain. And I have trying to make sense of all of the religion my parents had exposed me to. The best I could come up with was a deep-seated desire to just die. But then God saved me. When my wife and I walked through the pain of losing a child in late-term pregnancy, when Debbie and I walked through the betrayals of ministry and had friends deny us or betray us or stab us in the back, when we walk through the deepest trials and darknesses of wayward children and struggles with knowing how to make sense of life and we felt alone and hurt and abandoned, I could still always open my Bible and come to the Savior and say, Abba, Father, I need you. Because I was never alone. I was never alone. J.C. Ryle says, like young recruits, they had yet to learn that it is one thing to know the soldiers drill and wear the uniform, and quite another, to be steadfast in the day of battle. And that's why, notice in verse 29, she says, do you now believe? You see, we can easily say these things, knowing that our faith will be tried by difficulties. The mature Christian is the one, not the one who has advanced beyond careful attention to God's word and prayer and regular worship in the church. Instead, the mature Christian believers have learned, you don't neglect God-given means of grace. Do you now believe? So we stay in the Word of God, and we stay in prayer, and we stay in community. And we must ask ourselves whether we have eclipsed or minimized any of the particulars of the gospel. I put this out there, Josh Houghton said, On the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter was willing to kill for Christ, but not to die for him. Did you think about that? Peter was willing to kill someone for Christ, but he would deny Christ three times because he wasn't willing to die for Christ. He says there's a type of counterfeit faithfulness that's willing to kill for Christ, but not willing to die for Christ. If we only follow Christ when it costs our enemies their lives, but not when it costs us our own, then we have not left everything to follow Christ. And hence why at the very end in verses 32 and 33, you see this power or this promise of Christ's power. He confronts the disciples. He says, you guys can now pray to God as Father. You don't go through me anymore. You go in my name, but you go right to the Father. Oh, and by the way, you're far weaker than you possibly imagine because it's not about you. It's never been about you. I don't care what the world says, young people. It's not about you. It's about Jesus who loves you. And when you trust in him, he will give you value and purpose and esteem. And this is why he says what he does. It's why we go through these trials. Paul gave us a glimpse of this. Remember when Paul said in, Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But what was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. And notice what Jesus says. He goes, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to go home. And yet, in verse 31, look at the end. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. See, so he wanted his disciples to know, I'm not telling you you're going to leave me and you're all going to forsake me so that one of you would feel guilty about that and say, no, Lord, I'll stay with you. No, he wanted them to not embrace their weakness. He wanted them to go, you can't do this. I will. And I will do it through the power of my Father. And by the way, Jesus didn't have to be guilted into it. He gladly do it, Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy that was put before him. And so we can do this. The most important thing the presence of the Father signifies is that Jesus is right where he is supposed to be. Hours from crucifixion and betrayal and, and pain like he had never experienced was exactly where he was going to be. And the whole world, including the disciples, think Jesus has been conquered, and the presence of the Father says, Nope, it's exactly the opposite. And remember those statements from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold, your son, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. And Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. See, Jesus is showing them it's not about and is never about or nor will it ever be about your clinging to Jesus as it is resting in and finding peace in the fact that Jesus clings to us. You don't have to worry. So many of you worry about running from God. And God says, if I own you, you can't run from me. Rest in that. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest because without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense. Watch now. My righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. He says, listen, you're all going to leave me, but I have said these things to you. That's the word of God, that in me, you may have peace. So your peace doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from the church. It comes from Christ. Oh, and by the way, in the world, you'll have tribulation. You will screw up. You are weak, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The gospel has never been about you doing something. The gospel is about you trusting in the one who has done it all for you. And believe it or not, when you and I get it, that's when we'll actually start to change Why does Matt Marseille say, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are and where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness, watch this, holiness is Christ in me. That's the gospel. And so whoever loses his life and whoever hates His life in this world will keep it for eternal life. One man says a self-centered life feels safe, but that feeling is lying to us. And a cross-centered life feels risky. That feeling too is lying to us because Christ safeguards us. It's never been about you and I. What a promise. You and I can bring our sin, our pride, our anger, our impulsiveness, and we can be honest. What are you bitter about? What are you not willing to forgive? What are your conditions or demands of yourself and others or even God? Where are you being a hypocrite? Where do you lie to yourself and pretend to others? And you can bring your issues and your weaknesses, your fears and your doubts and your weariness. You can bring Jesus your marriage and your family you can bring them your list of activities and accomplishments and go here you take them I don't want them anymore and Jesus says awesome now have me and that's the very definition of I am free and the question always is and will always remain do you believe do you believe and so what are you and I to take from this Calvary Baptist, you need to see that prayer is our relationship reality. It's not a form or a formula. Don't go to God to get stuff. Don't go to God to manipulate or try and earn or convince. Go to Him because He's dead. And you bring Him your stuff. We need to own and admit our weaknesses so that we will surrender our pride and live in humble obedience. See, Jesus knows that we will have tribulations and your trials don't suggest that you've fallen outside of Christ's will. Jesus knows in every detail, every cross that you bear, especially when you bear it for him, And so Jesus does not cause the Father to love his disciples, for it was God's love that Jesus sent, that sent Jesus to us. Christ does not cajole an otherwise unwilling deity, but rather achieves the great passion of God's own heart. So you are safe now to go, I am too weak to do this. And then finally, we've got to trust in Christ and his power to accomplish his work through us, more than worry and strive to do our work for him. Young people, evangelism is not a fish on your car or a what would Jesus do band about your wrist. It's not about a cross on your neck. It's not even about your personal testimony. It's not counsel, advice, or inspirational therapy. It's telling people the good news about all God has accomplished through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. J.C. Ryle puts it like this, In Christ alone, God's rich provision of salvation for sinners is treasured up by Christ alone. God's abundant mercies come down from heaven to earth. Christ's blood atones for us and cleanses us. Christ's righteousness alone can cleanse us. And Christ's merit alone can give us a title to heaven. And by the way, for any men of you that are here, and maybe you're not a Christian the very first prayer that God will hear as Father is, oh God, forgive me. Remember that publican who couldn't even lift his eyes towards heaven but beat his breast and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I beg of you, I beg of you to prove me wrong. Go to Christ to God in Christ's name and say, I am a sinner in need of forgiveness. But Christians, how is it and why is it that you would claim to have said that prayer and then act like God will never answer any other prayer? And yes, you'll have tribulation in this world, but take heart Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, it has been my joy to preach this to myself and to my friends and to my family. Lord, the room has been very quiet, and I trust your spirit, that your word is living and powerful and sharper, and that right now the Spirit of God is causing young people and older folk married and singles, men and women, to think about, why am I here and what is my life like? Lord, do we really believe that we have access to God as Father in prayer? Do we own the fact that we are far weaker than we could ever imagine and that's exactly how you planned it so we would be dependent on you and not think of you as an add-on in life? But then to hear the promise that you're going to do everything, the miracle of the gospel is not that we do things for you. It's that you invite us to do things for you, having known that you have done everything for us already. Our acts of holiness, our words of encouragement, our submission to each other in the gospel is not to earn your favor. It's because we already have it. May you truly be the cornerstone of our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.